This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. A little over 11 years ago, I remember the day very vividly. It was March 4th, 2008, and I was in my living room in Madison, Wisconsin. I was doing a little bit of laundry folding, and our then 10-month-old only child at the time was in his baby gym doing his baby exercises. And I was watching TV, perhaps the saddest day of live TV I have ever witnessed. And it was the press conference when Brett Favre announced his retirement from the Green Bay Packers. And before you do that, Chicago fans, I remind you, Michael Jordan did that to you two times. <laughs> but on a more personal level, most of us have experienced the loss that comes when someone who was really close to us is no longer around, for one reason or another. That might be a parent, it might be um, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it might be a colleague, it might be a spouse, different family members. And you know the sting that comes along with that loneliness, that feeling of emptiness, of abandonment perhaps, of sadness. Today is Ascension Sunday, and it's the Sunday when the church, in her wisdom, celebrates the day when Jesus was taken into heaven. And from the beginning, the church recognized that this day was really important because it gives us lots of information about who Jesus is, about who the Holy Spirit is, about who the gathering of God's people as the church is, and even her mission in the world. Now, Jesus himself said to us, I will not leave you as orphans. But this going away can make it seem like he's not present with us, or at least he's present in some lesser way that, that somehow we've lost something of who Jesus is. And so the ascension can almost feel like Jesus is, is escaping us. He's abandoning us. He's going somewhere better and leaving us in a place that's worse. And we have enough people who have abandoned and disappointed us. Is Jesus just the next one in line? How can we celebrate that? Well, today we're going to look to the scriptures, and we're going to actually see two reasons why the ascension is really, really good news for us. And our primary text this morning will be the New Testament reading, Acts chapter 1. Now, that's actually the second volume of St. Luke's writings. St. Luke, the gospel writer, in his first writing, the gospel of St. Luke, actually described the different things that Jesus did and taught. Now, in volume 2, he's detailing the movement of the Holy Spirit in the early Christian community. Jesus actually appeared to his followers in the 40 days after the resurrection, and he was teaching them things about himself and about the kingdom. I'm going to read a few verses again from that reading so that they're fresh in our minds as we explore this a little bit, in a little bit more detail. Acts 1-4, while Staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Of course, the original listeners of this story have a different framework than we do. We're not only separated by long periods of history, but we're separated by culture. And so what we're going to do is step back and look at two different Old Testament stories that help shape our imagination and understanding of what's actually happening here with the ascension. And these two stories, one is in Daniel chapter 7, and the other is in 2 Kings chapter 2. The first Old Testament story that gives us uh, a better understanding of what's happening here with the ascension starts in Daniel 7. Now, Daniel, of course, was a prophet in the 500s BC during the Babylonian exile. And the context of this particular passage are visions that he was having at night of uh, these four beasts coming out of the sea. And the text itself says that these four beasts represent the kings of the evil nations surrounding Israel who were warring against God's people. And so we'll pick it up here in Daniel chapter 7. You can either turn there in your scriptures or it's, it's also printed in your bulletin on the sermon page. These are Daniel's words. I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed." So we have this new king, a son of man, coming with clouds, exercising power over the nations and the beasts, these these monsters representing the forces of evil and chaos in the world. And the king ascends with a cloud. Now, cloud, if we look in different parts of the Old Testament, is symbolic of the very presence of God. We see when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, God was leading them in a cloud. We see in a passage in uh, Isaiah that God's presence, the smoke was filling the temple. God is there in a cloud. So this isn't just any kingdom, but this is the eternal kingdom and God's very rule and reign coming and being established. So now let's fast forward to the New Testament when Jesus is on trial before his crucifixion, before the Jewish council, specifically his words to the high priest during this trial. And if you look in your bulletin again on that sermon page, these texts are next to each other. And what I invite you to do and encourage you to do this morning is take out a pencil or some kind of writing implement and make some marks and underline where you see some of these common elements in the passages. So in Mark 14, 62, this is Jesus before the high priest. He says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That should sound really familiar to you because in Daniel 7, 13, we just read, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. Son of man, clouds of heaven, coming. 
Now, often this verse is read as a reference to the return of Christ, and it, clearly that is true. But there's also a sense of this echo, a clear echo of Daniel chapter 7 that's fulfilled in a really dramatic, perhaps unexpected way. And here the Son of Man comes up in the clouds to God, and he takes the authority of this seat over the whole world. And so this cloud imagery that we have here and in Acts chapter 1 is meant to show us that Jesus is coming up to a seat of power. And so seated at the right hand is not an absence, but it's actually a more powerful presence among his people. As Paul says, and it was actually part of the collect for today, that Jesus is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So he's not gone and removed in the negative sense of the word. He's actually enthroned. And so here's reason number one. If you're a fill-in-the-blank kind of individual, you can write this in in your sermon page. Reason one why the ascension is good news, Jesus is enthroned. Jesus is Lord is the most ancient confession of the Christian church. And we proclaim this because Jesus is now reigning at the right hand of the Father, and we say this every week in the creed. But we might still wonder, is this a good thing? Because what if he's not a good king? How do we know if he's a good king? I would suggest looking at what he's doing right now. And when we do that, Hebrews 7 and Romans 8 tell us that Jesus is right now making intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. He is praying for us, for the things that we need, knowing what we need and praying for us in that way. What's more, according to earlier in Hebrews in chapter 4, and I'll read this right from the text, Jesus is a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he is a king who knows the life of his subjects. The good news for us is that the conquering king of Scripture is also the suffering servant of Scripture. He gets it. He gets it. He's experienced whatever intense emotional or physical or mental or relational pain that we can ever experience. And although it might not ever change the circumstances that we're in, we know that he has been in that spot, that he hears us, he understands us, and we can experience the very comfort of God's presence in the midst of all of that pain and hurt. So Jesus is Lord. He's king. He's not gone. He's actually more powerfully present with us. But you know, sometimes we're not convinced because when we take a look at the world around us, all of the evidence seems contrary to what I just said. And when it doesn't look like Jesus is in charge, our job is to live by faith in his sovereign lordship. 
And that's been true from the very beginning of the Christian faith, especially in times of persecution. But that's not to say that living by faith in this lordship is an easy thing. It's not. It's hard. By our very nature as humans, we need a lord. We need a king. And when it seems like the king and the kingdom are absent or far away or abstract, what we do is we start to construct our own kings and kingdoms, or we, we seek out these lesser lords, whether they're lords of money that promise us security, whether they're lords of the protection of a government or political party or ourself, the knowledge that we have, the position that we have, the power that we have, our own autonomy. We set these things up as lords or kings that promise so much to us. They promise deliverance and they promise freedom and they promise a good life, but what they end up, is, end up giving us is so much less. I think several years ago, back to my life, and one king that I had structured in my life was money. I thought that money would give me security, and so I took on extra jobs. As I was a professor teaching classes, I took online classes to supplement my income so that we'd be secure. What I didn't realize is that over time, little by little, this was sucking the life out of me. I ran myself ragged. I was up late, awake early, present with my family, but not really present with my family. And some of you know what this is like because you've lived it too. Fortunately, by God's grace, I was able to step aside from that and give those back to him and in faith, trust him to provide. It's not easy. But these lesser lords can't hold the weight of our life and our longings. Only the true king can do that. And so this, that's why this is great news for us, that Jesus, the true king, is enthroned and we can live in the freedom of his wonderful rule and reign. Now, one day this kingdom will come in its fullness. But in the meantime, we have a job to do. And so we're going to move on to the second Old Testament image that's really important for us in understanding what's happening here. And that image is when a prophetic mantle is passed on from one prophet to the next from Elijah to Elisha. And that story happens in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 2. And again, I put that in the, I didn't put it in the bulletin. Uh, it's in your bulletin. And you can follow along as we read this. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And the story goes on, and there's these chariots and horses of fire that come, and Elijah's taken up in this whirlwind. And in verse 12, there's this detail that's not an incidental detail. It's actually a key detail because it says, Elisha saw it. And then he picked up Elijah's cloak and he hit the waters of the Jordan and the waters of the Jordan parted and he walked over on dry ground. So again, look at these phrases that occur in both of these passages. 
in Acts chapter 1 and in 2 Kings chapter 2. We're seeing common things that let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Compare that to Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Second Kings, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, that will be the evidence. Acts 1, 9, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. So looking at these two stories in parallel with each other, we see stories of succession, one succeeding the other, and empowerment. And how do we know when the power has been transferred from the first one to the second one? The evidence is actually being taken and seeing that actually happen. So in the Old Testament, it was the anointed prophet and his apprentice. The, assign, the sign that the empowerment would be passed on in it, to the apprentice was being taken. And then we see in Acts 1, Jesus promises this empowerment which would actually be better than his physical presence, he said. And then he is seen being taken into heaven. So this brings us to the second reason why the ascension is such good news for us, and that is we are empowered. The gospel writer John in chapter 16 says, in Jesus, records Jesus' words, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Earlier, he recorded Jesus' words, greater works than these will he do, that is the one who believes in Jesus, because I am going to the Father. And then Jesus goes on to say, the Spirit will be in you. So it's actually Jesus' going away that paves the way for him to send his spirit into our very hearts. That sounds great too, but why do we need that? What, what's the reason for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Empowered for what? To have goosebumps? To have a great emotional encounter with God? To have a great bank account or retirement? to live the American dream, empowered to determine my own destiny. No, we're empowered for the sake of the church and the whole world. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. Now, this is a really important word for those of us this morning who are wondering what our purpose is. And although I can't tell you particularly what your purpose is in those details, I can tell you what your purpose is and what my purpose is in general terms, and that is to share in the, the, the mission of Jesus to the world. And we do that not in our own power, fortunately, but we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in this way, we're saying mission is not an add-on to believing in Jesus, like in a, it's an extra credit or a 400-level Jesus follower thing that I've committed my life to Jesus and maybe someday I'll do mission. But mission is a natural outgrowth of the spirit in, given in empowered life that we live as Jesus' followers. And in a culture with so many rival kings and kingdoms that are demanding allegiance, from us, we're witnesses of another kingdom, the truer, the better kingdom. This makes me question, well, what is a witness, though? Great, I'm empowered to be a witness. What does that mean? 
I think originally we probably think it's a, an observer of something. I saw something happen. And it made me think of when I was a kid. Uh, I grew up about an hour and a half from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was a big Brewers fan, and so I would periodically go down and watch games. I actually happened to watch two very historic moments in Major League Baseball at Brewers games. One was when Jose Canseco, who is an Oakland Athletics player, stole his 40th base to become the first player in Major League history to hit 40 home runs and steal 40 bases in a season. He stole the base, he hoisted it up, he actually took it, they gave it to him, so it was a stolen base. And it was not my team, though. Both of these actually happened and they weren't my team, which is incidental to the point. The second one was Nolan Ryan. If you remember Nolan Ryan, great pitcher, pitched for Houston and then Texas. He was with the Texas Rangers, and I watched him win his 300th career game. I don't know what it is about the Brewers and having other teams set records against them. Uh, but I saw these things happen. I was a witness to them. But I wasn't on the field. I didn't have a uniform. I didn't have a glove. This is not what the Bible means when it talks about witness. In the biblical sense, witness is not being a passive observer. It's actually being an active participant in the story. That we bear witness to Jesus. So if you don't like sports, I'm going to flip the metaphor here. God has a grand play, a grand story, a musical, if you like. He's the director. He knows what's happening, and he's calling everyone onto the stage for a very brief moment in history, and he's giving us a script, and our name is in it. And we do the things that he's calling us to do, but not in our own authority either. He actually breathes the Holy Spirit into us and works in and through us to accomplish the very things that we are being called to do in that story. But what does witness look like then? If it's bearing witness in a very active way, and we could probably slice this in many different ways, but I think one helpful way to categorize witness would be in three different categories. The first would be in words where we speak God's words, either God's words in Scripture or God's word particularly to a person in a, in a certain situation. We see that in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the followers of Jesus were actually speaking what appeared to be almost gibberish to themselves, but the other people were hearing the praises of God in their own languages. And what a blessing it is for us to hear God's word to us in a way that we understand. I think of the time last March. So this was around the time we were really discerning whether we were coming to resurrection or not, leaving a life in academia and coming to train for church planting. And I was getting ready to teach statistics one day, and I was getting my laptop plugged into the projector, and this student kind of walks up and a little bit awkwardly, like sheepishly, asked me a question. And he said, would you ever consider being a pastor? Whoa, this is statistics. What are we talking about? He, and then he said, well, I think God is calling you to be a pastor. And you might not, not really think, or you might question that, but actually if you step out in faith and obey what he's telling you to do, he's going to work through you in powerful ways. And then he went and he sat down in his seat. Like, <laughs> how am I supposed to teach T-test today after that? So I kind of gathered myself, taught the lesson for the day. 
But what a blessing it was to me to receive God's word to me in that moment, in my language, in a way that I could understand. So witness might be word. It might also be deed. It might be actions, particularly actions that only make sense if Jesus is Lord. Later in Acts, we see people selling all that they have and then bringing the money and distributing it, them, distributing it through the apostles to the people who were in need. And I think of people like Henry Nouwen who left a professorship at Harvard to go live among people with developmental disabilities. I think of people who changed their occupation from high-paying jobs into missions and pastoral ministry. I think of college graduates who choose to go work in underserved places where they're not making much money, or even coming to a place like Resurrection to a ministry residency where they have to raise funds in order to do the work that God's calling them to do. This does not make sense, guys, unless Jesus is Lord. Then it makes total sense. Word, deed, and then maybe even presence. I don't know exactly what to call it, but Paul says in Romans 12 to Rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And there's a sense of, maybe, maybe we could call it incarnational presence, where the best witness is not really to do anything or even to say anything. The best witness is coming alongside someone and sitting with them in the worst moment of their lives. Receiving news that they're devastated by. Coming alongside and just crying with them, sitting with them, putting a hand or arm around them, and letting the Lord minister in that tangible, incarnational, even sacramental way. So ascension is not an escape. It's not Jesus getting away, far away from the earth because it's so bad. Ascension is actually a good thing because Jesus is enthroned as Lord and king, sitting in the place of highest power and authority. And this king calls us to be active participants in this really great, massive story of restoring all the brokenness in our world. And not only that, but he empowers us to do it. Let's pray together. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we are not king. And there's no way we can empower ourselves. We realize our brokenness and all of our attempts to, to bring this kingdom that we want to see. We confess that we've made alliances with other kings who the world tells us will bring us security, will bring us hope, will bring us a good life. And we even confess our attempts to play king. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who shines the light on our need for the true King Jesus. And now with open hands, we ask your Holy Spirit to come and to breathe on us and empower us to embody this kingdom in the ways that you see fit through words, through actions, through presence. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast.
To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.